If green is your favorite color or your way of living, then Grounded is the place for you. From big environmental solutions to your own backyard, wherever in the universe you may be, join me, Melanie Walker, on a journey to a cleaner, greener life. Grounded, your window on the environment. And a very warm welcome to you and yours. Of course, this is the place where we're going to get to the stage now where we can really enjoy being out in our gardens. Although if you live up on the high felt, of course, it's always fantastic being in your gardens, even during the middle of winter, even if it is a little bit dry. Okay, it is the place where we find out about things which are green and not just plants, also about how to be green. So to come and give us some helpful hints and tips and tell us what her story is all about, we have from Upcycle, Winnie McHenry. Thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. I know I've spoken to you before. We've done a, a couple of podcasts before, but I want to know how things are going in the world of Upcycle. First of all, though, tell people what your background is and why you've gotten into doing what you're doing. So growing up at school, I've always been somebody that wanted to do, save the planet. I've done a lot of work with Greenpeace and there was always this need to make a difference to what's happening with global warming and stuff. And that was back in the 80s, so people didn't even know it existed. But it was always my passion to make a difference on, on the ground with the people and the waste and just making sure that climate change wasn't a real thing. So that's really been my passion and why I ended up in this business of teaching people how to make stuff from waste to try and save the waste from ending up in landfill and trying to save the planet at the same time. Would you say that South Africans are particularly wasteful? I mean, compared to the rest of the world? I mean, although one of my enduring images is always going to be the amount of people in India who are climbing through trash heaps and, and recovering things from there. Are we, just, are we as bad as that? Um, I mean, we, I know we're running out of landfills. So how bad is South Africa when it comes to actually being a bit of a kind of throwaway society? I think we are as bad as the rest of the world was, but I think that was because stuff got created and nobody thought about what was going to happen to the stuff once we didn't use it. So when we started marketing, let's use all this amazing stuff and everything's in little packets and it's easy to access and it's cheaper, we didn't think, okay, but what happens to it when it's gone? And we come from a world where basically if you ate an apple, when you were done, there's a core of an apple, you throw it on the ground, it biodegrades. Mm. Then things changed. The packet that it came in doesn't just biodegrade, but nobody told us that. So the world just started throwing stuff down, thinking that that was just going to biodegrade. Then, obviously, that whole impact came along and everyone realized, actually, this stuff isn't disappearing. And it just accumulated. So there's tons of it everywhere. And I think we are very wasteful. I think we throw stuff everywhere. But it's changing. It's definitely changing. So people are starting to definitely go, okay, this is not the right thing to do. Mm. The problem is that there's not enough resources in South Africa to collect the waste and to put it in the right place. And even people that now do collect stuff and put it or try and recycle it, there's not enough industries in South Africa that deal with all of our recyclable waste. Mm. So we're getting there, but we are very much like India. It's just that we don't live on rivers as much, although most of our rivers in South Africa are contaminated by people living downstream and stuff. And it's I get frustrated with people because they say we don't care, but it's not that we don't care. It's a consciousness that we're never taught that this is a problem. And now we're upset that people are making a mess in the river, but did we show them that what the impact was? Hang on. When I was a child, we had that whole thing all day, every day, zap it in a ZB. We all knew that we had to zap things in the ZB, and we didn't throw things on the ground, and there weren't those plastic trees, you know, the, the flowers <laughs> that were everywhere. We didn't really see it. So I think it is... 
very much a once they stopped with all of the advertising and pushing it at schools, especially at schools, don't throw stuff on the mm. ground, mm. that it kind of got worse. Because I don't remember it being so bad when I was a kid. It wasn't so bad when we were kids, but there wasn't as much waste when we were kids. Mm. And a lot of us had TV and access to that information where a lot of the communities that we work in don't necessarily or didn't have mm. the Zappet and the ZB TV ads and stuff like that growing up. I didn't have TV. It was just we used <laughs> to have it at the schools. They used to put things, design a poster. And all the bins had it on. And yeah, all the, yeah. Yes. So I don't know. I just think waste wasn't such a big deal back then. There mm. wasn't as much. The problem is now there's just so much waste that we even – even in our own households, when we're trying to recycle, we're trying to do the best we can. It's Even that is just intimidating. There's just so much of it. You well, don't realize how quickly stuff accumulates. Stuff accumulates, yeah. I mean, I, I go mad, but I always find a place. And I literally only throw away a half a shopping bag's worth of stuff that I really can't recycle every single week, if that. Mm. In fact, sometimes it'll be two weeks that I don't have to throw anything away. Because I make eco-bricks, and people are saying, yeah, but you can fill them up with sand. I'm like, that's kind of missing the point. You want to take all the stuff that can't be recycled, put it inside the bottle, and then use that for building, which uh, I'm uh, supplying to a friend because she's mm. making a chicken coop. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> yeah. exactly. So, I mean, it's, just, it's thinking like that. But, I mean, South Africa, yeah, it has become like one of those things I despair when I'm driving along, and it, and it seems not – and we're talking about affluent societies as well. I mean, affluent suburbs where there's just rubbish everywhere. And I, I drive past and I see how many bins people are putting out. And I'm thinking, you people have every single option and, and thing at your disposal to understand what you should and shouldn't be doing. But you are actually creating the most amount of waste. Absolutely. There's a lot of, a lot of politics around everything as well. Some people are, you know, it's not my problem. I pay my rates and taxes. Somebody else must deal with it. Mm. Everybody else's, and we don't want these zamazamas in our streets because they make a mess. And, and I understand the argument, but you know. They don't make a mess. They clean it up. To a degree they do, but then they go down the road and they maybe will start fires. And because a lot of the time what they do is they will, if they get a computer screen, whatever, they will melt the content off of it so that they can access the wire because they're mm. going for the most expensive. So it's a lot of training and a lot of community working together to actually make it work. And people don't necessarily want to work together, mm. you know, but there are, there's, there's definitely systems in place that are trying to make a difference. But there's also like now with a lot of the community based cleaning up systems, they want to now charge a 50 rand fee for to do We're that. already paying for that. They <laughs> can't go and put another fee on top of it, especially as most of us are actually doing our own recycling exactly. anyway. So now people that are recycling are saying, well, we're not going to do any recycling because now we don't want to pay the extra money because they want to charge for that separate And then you don't even source. know where it's going or if it's actually being done, which is a big problem for me because a lot of the time we know that that extra money is just going to be going to somebody else and certainly not for what the purpose it's intended for. Anyway, so that we could get into a whole thing Absolutely. about that one. But um, even new neighbors who come into our street, the first thing they say, what are the recycling protocols in our street? And, of course, I'm like on board with that whole thing. And I tell them the whole rundown about what you can do, what you must do, et cetera, et cetera. But it's also a case of like, I have this. What can I do with it? Now, where did the whole concept of upcycle come from? Because we always talk when, when we talk about like in gardening, we are always kind of talking about reducing, recycling, and upcycling. So what is the difference between recycling and upcycling? So I think the thing is upcycling has been around forever. You know, especially back in the day when people didn't have the money, they were resourceful mm. and they used stuff for some other thing. But now that you can get it cheaper and just the new little model of it 
and it's quicker and easier to just buy it instead of making the thing. People don't necessarily upcycle stuff like they used to. So the difference really is that recycling is you would take something and put it through an entire manufacturing process to change it from what it currently is mm. into something else. Whereas upcycling is trying to use it as it is and turn it into something different that's of value. So you'll use the components or whatever. So maybe you'll take a plastic bottle and cut it up and, and turn it into a mat for your front door as opposed to mm. buying a mat for your front door. So I think when in our previous days, people were needing a mat, didn't have the money. You mean had in the old resources days. <laughs> in those old, old days. Yeah. The days of yore. <laughs> <laughs> in those days where people loved doing it, but a lot of people had the time to do it because mm. we don't have the time necessarily anymore to sit and create stuff. But because we had created it, we would appreciate the fact that it was a handmade item and it would last longer and we would keep it longer because we put so much effort into it. We didn't mm. just have to earn the money to buy it. So people respected and treated those things with more value. But it was it's always something we've done. It's always been, as a human, we have that resource within us. Yeah, yeah. So it's just making it trendy again and making people see the value and actually not buying New all the time. But look, in the olden days, of course, let's be honest, they didn't have that same issue that we have these days with plastic. I mean, just plastic is just, mm. I mean, I know that in the 50s and whenever it became all the rage that everybody had to have, you know, everything was in plastic and Tupperware and all of these things for which you either have lids or, lids or you have no lids, okay, because your socks got eaten and turned into various other things. Anyway, that's a, that's a joke about the, t the Tupperware. Yep. But <laughs> in those days, you didn't have plastics around. And if you did have plastic, you would keep on using it until it literally fell apart. Okay. Because it was, it was quite expensive. If you were buying stuff that was made of plastic. Now it's just like everything is plastic mm. and there aren't enough people who are actually going and taking all those plastics and making them into roads. But then people are also worrying about how those roads, you know, like down in the Eastern Cape, they've been making roads from mm. the plastics and stuff. Yes. How those roads are going to degrade themselves. And is that plastic now going to go into? the environment again. Mm. Although the bigger problem is actually car rubber from the tires. Exactly. So, I mean, that's that's one of the biggest contaminants at all. So, we look at these things and you look at what you've got all these plastic things. What, what are you supposed to do with them? I, I think the fact that so many people are saying, right, I'm not going to buy your product unless you put it into glass or if you have it in plastic rather than in a cardboard box, which is recyclable then I'm, I'm not going to buy your product. Have you found a lot of people that you know are thinking like that? Exactly. And that's the way to change the consciousness is for people to realize that it's up to them as consumers to demand how their stuff gets packaged. Mm. You know, and it's not that easy because convenience is how we've been raised. I think this new generation of like, it's got to be quick and easy and it's got to be convenient because we're not at home as much as we used to be. We, we don't have the time to necessarily do things the way we used to. So it's definitely a mindset of being able to say to the shops, listen, if you can do this for us in this particular way, we will support you more. Mm. So there's definitely these big corporates that are now starting to actually realize the consciousness of it and, and supplying stuff not in plastic, which is amazing to see. Well, talking about the corporates, of course, I know one of the biggest culprits when it comes to things ending up in landfill are, in fact, corporates and mainly through events. Yeah. And now, I mean, I've worked in eventing a lot of my time and I've, I've whenever I've done like 702 Walk the Talk. You know, when you do the Walk the Talk, unfortunately, we haven't had it for the last couple of years, and I don't know if it will come back because of COVID. But at the end of it, everybody gets given a medal. Yes. Okay. And I sat there and I said, no, I don't want a medal. 
I know I've done it. I don't need a medal to tell me I've done it. But I mean, a lot of people will take those medals and eventually they look at it and say, oh, I don't want this. And they just toss it away. Mm. So those medals aren't actually necessary. Okay. For, if for anything, any yeah. of these things, you don't need the medals. Exactly. There's so much stuff which is given out as gifts to people. And all of a sudden it's no longer the thing that they would be giving out. So now the corporate is stuck with all of this stuff or their billboard material. All of their branding, if they change their logos, all of a sudden they've got to have all this. What happens to all of that stuff? So primarily the biggest issue with those kinds of things is that they're not even recyclable because it's mixed-use plastics or it's too dirty, you know, like your metal and the ribbon, you can't just put it in one bin. So people don't understand what it's even made of half the time. Mm. So to be able to put it in the right bin to recycle it is some of the biggest problem. And corporates are not anymore or trying not to landfill because that's the only option mm. you pay a really 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 large sum of money for like carbon tax and you landfill it so that's actually where we come in mostly is to not we don't really work with the recyclable stuff we try and work with corporates that have got problems waste issues that cannot be recycled so we will find a value and turn it into a product and then teach our communities how to make a product from that waste like with the billboard banner stuff, we turn it into shopping bags, purses, handbags, all of that kind of mm. stuff. But the event industry, it's it's very scary, the amount of waste and stuff. And So part of the biggest issues that I have with events is I actually used to live across the road from the botanical gardens, and they used to have all these walks and community days and corporate event days, and they would bring in truckloads of these plastic bottles plastic water sachets, all of the little bits and bobs to make the event great. Everybody gets a little plastic backpack. Everyone gets a little plastic this and a plastic that. And I'm like, you're doing this to be healthy and happy and to do this great environmental thing. Everybody leaves the event. They throw the plastic and everything everywhere because obviously the big corporate is engaged with a council cleanup mm. operation and whatever. The council cleanup operation doesn't, work effectively, doesn't actually come the day that they're due to come. They come maybe three days later. But in that instance, you've got plastic packets blowing all over mm. the dam for, for three or four days. Then the ducks and everything is just a complete mess because nobody's taking accountability. You've paid the check to say, okay, now it's your responsibility. All our waste is your problem. Mm. But you don't check up and make sure that it actually gets done. And then you look again, the whole place is a complete mess. And, you know, and it's for me, it's so frustrating because corporates, they, they initiate those events, but they need to take responsibility, not just by paying for somebody to make the problem go away. Yeah, it's very much a South African thing. Uh, SEP, as I like to call it, someone else's problem. <laughs> but, yeah, so, but, but we're not going to be complete. I mean, I'm working corporate. I'm not in corporate with corporates. Okay. So, I mean, I'm, I'm very aware of what they're doing, but they will give you things, um, that you can then sell on to other people instead of like gift bags or gift packets of things that they had. And you find an interesting way of doing something with it. And then you can sell it on from your shop. Is that right? Yes, exactly. So, and what very often happens is corporates have, as you were saying earlier, they change their brand or something goes wrong with maybe the print when they're running T-shirts, say, and they want to put a particular logo on and the print maybe comes out a bit skew. Now, they cannot take that batch of printing or mm. T-shirting and stuff to, and donate it because now your logo is wrong and stuff. And obviously, your branding guys in within your corporate is going to kill you if you hand over the wrong color brand or whatever. But you also can't – so you can't donate it. And the only option is to 
basically landfill it again, shred it and landfill it. So what we do is we take on those things and we take the branding off, either by sewing a patch over or cleaning it off or whatever, mm-hmm. and we get our communities to, to do the sewing and the covering of the books. or So whatever the branding process, the debranding process is, we engage in our community and we train them up to do those different things. Then the product comes back to us, which is clean without a branding, and we sell it in our shop, and that helps us generate the money to help us do the training within our communities. Okay, so tell me more about the training and, and which communities you've been working with. Because, I mean, I've been following this story quite a lot, and I love the fact that, I mean, most of the money that you're getting out, you're putting straight back into actually training people how to do this, mm. not just here in Johannesburg, but taking it around the country as well, one hopes. Yes. So there's quite a few different communities, and basically what I do is, depending on the waste, I've got different communities doing different things. Mm. So we've got a community that just does glass work and they cut up the glass bottles and they turn it into chandeliers, light fittings, candles. Glasses. Glasses. Because a lot of the brands are now starting to actually bevel their brand within the glass itself. So you can actually have a glass that will permanently have your favorite brand on it and we make them into like a set of drinking glasses Mm. or light fittings and that kind of thing. So we've got a community that does that. Then we've got a few different small communities doing sewing. And what kind of things are they sewing? What are you making? So at the moment we're doing like for one of the corporates, we're doing picnic baskets, shopping bags, uh, covering books, making chair covers for schools. Mm. Because some of the billboard banners are really thick, that nice thick fabric, Yeah, we're turning it into mattresses for the kids in ECDs and stuff. So, oh, okay. so it's nice, it's waterproof, so... If during sleep time during the day there's an accident, it doesn't mess up the mattress or whatever because it's covered with that nice thick billboard banner. So we're doing that. We also do, so that's sort of sewing. And and anything sewing that you can think of that you can possibly sew, we can make from billboard banner fabric. We also have corporates that give us just pure fabrics. Mm. So sometimes what happens is you've got manufacturing companies that are making clothing. What happens is if a new fabric company wants to get their brand or their type of designed um, cotton into manufacture, they will donate samples to the big corporates so that in, in the hope that maybe they'll pick their design. Mm. But the big companies don't have the time, so they don't even bother opening those packets, which is probably... That's another wasteful thing, yeah. The designers probably don't want to hear that. But that's <laughs> what's happening is that, you know, they spend all of their time and energy, they, they send off 10 or 15 meters for them to prototype with, and, and there's just no time for the big corporates to do that so they just end up donating that back to communities and stuff so Mm. we then take that fabric and also make different items from it we've also got two ladies that spend their whole day that they take branded diaries books whatever that have got branding on and they recover them so they'll wrap them in shresh rare fabric or um like we've just used eureka mills's packaging and we covered the book with the eureka mills and what the flower bags? The flower bags. So it's a nice, like, do you brown remember? Paper, I mean, that was really something cool that bag. I keep seeing every now and then. That back, um, like during the world wars, in that period of time between the, the world wars in America, I think it was, that when so many people had so little, that the one uh, flower company realized that women were taking the flower bags to make clothes for their from themselves and their children. Yes. So they started printing 
beautiful designs on the inside of the flower bags so that they could use that fabric and yes. make it look nicer than just an old flower bag. Exactly. That's what's amazing about that ingenuity. Yeah. It's like what Protea Wines is doing with their bottles. And I love Protea Wines for oh, that. Those are the ones with beautiful white. Yes. Oh, and fill and them up with colors and put lights in them. They're fantastic. Yeah. Exactly. And the entire principle behind producing the bottle with that beautiful design is so that you can upcycle the bottle mm. instead of just having to land well. You can recycle glass, but it's such a process. The, I mean, and it's too heavy to carry, and it's really difficult within communities for people to get it to the right place for mm. the recycling to happen. So companies need to think of the circular economy and where their product is going to go when they're manufactured so it doesn't become somebody else's problem. Do you think that corporates are becoming a lot more aware of it? I mean, are they being hammered by people for firstly in a community for not actually doing something or by government for not actually doing enough? It's mostly through legislation and the SDGs. And so what's happening is um, the King's Four Act is basically putting a lot of pressure on corporates to actually have an extended producer responsibility. Mm -hmm. So it's up to them to actually look at where their waste is going to go. It's happening worldwide and it's definitely filtering down to South Africa. And I know basically because of a lot of the corporates that I'm working with are doing it now purely because they're pressurized into doing it. Yeah. Okay. Now, from a social responsibility point of view, are there any corporates who have gotten involved with you when it comes to actually the training of people? Not just by them giving you goods, but have they turned around and said, hey, actually, you know, we'd like to offset some of our carbon tax, whatever. Not necessarily that, you know, they're doing it so that the government can see it, but just for their own kind of good way of thinking within their own brains. If I can feel really good about this. Are they helping you with training people on how to use all of these? I mean, what do you actually do with the training apart from teaching people to sew? So we do have a couple of corporates. I'm, I'm not sure if you want me to mention their names. Or if I... Why not? If they're okay. doing good things, they can with the greatest of pleasure. <laughs> awesome. So we're working with Avbob at the moment, and they're doing amazing stuff with their banners. So, And their whole idea is to be able to teach people how to make and sew and stuff. So the idea for them is to empower people to be able to make stuff for themselves. Mm -hmm. So they're using their billboard banners to be able to do the training with. But the idea is that at the end of it, they are able to train, able to sew and be able to manufacture product, not just for them. But what's great about what Avbob is doing is they're not just saying, oh, yes, our stuff and, you know, good luck and enjoy. They're actually buying back products. So they're actually putting money into actually um, helping the people go forward. Yeah, exactly. So they're saying, you know what, yes, our product, this is what we want you to make. And this is orders that we're putting into place so that we can fund you being able to do the actual production so that you're not just sitting sewing and hoping at the end of it that you're going to be able to sell the product to somebody. Mm. You've actually got somebody committed to buying your product back at the end of the day. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing. I mean, mm. you can give somebody a fish and they eat for a day. You can teach them how to fish, they can eat forever. But what happens if you want to learn how to sell the fish? Exactly. That kind of skill is something that hasn't been given to people. So I've always thought that it's fantastic that you give people all of these things, but then you haven't told them how to go ahead with actually setting up like a business or being able to actually get other people involved and mm. creating what you've created in how to transform other people's lives. That's the thing. And with what we're trying to do is we don't teach people just how to make the product. So our training is involved in how to make stuff, but it's not, that's not our end game. Mm. The end game for us is to teach you how to become an entrepreneur and how to be able to have the self-confidence to be able to go out there and market your product. Because you can have a beautiful product, you can have the world's best product and the best idea. But if you are the kind of person that can't approach anybody, you can have your idea behind a closed door for the rest of your life and how's that going to get to market? Mm. So you need to be able to 
teach people how to actually do the selling, how to do the marketing, how to approach people, how to do all of those other things. And it's quite weird because when we start off with communities, if people have an idea, they, they have this great idea and you can see they light up with the idea, but then they immediately go, oh, I'm not going to tell anybody. They're so scared that somebody might steal, steal their, their idea. idea. And having an idea is only, for me, the tiniest, tiniest part of actually being an entrepreneur or having a business. Mm. Because if you can't do anything else revolved around actually how it, what it takes to run a business, your idea is never going to take light. So if you've got all these other skills, you can take any idea and make it work. Mm. So the idea isn't the biggest thing. So we do teach you how to make products during the process, but the training for us is about building the person and building their entrepreneurial skills. And at the end of it, they've got all these products that they've learned to make during the training that they can pick one and go and do. But at least they actually are able entrepreneurs. They're not just crafters. So you're actually like upskilling everybody as well, not just upcycling. Yes, upcycling the life and the product. So do you also go and help corporates train people in their own companies as well, that they can have a group on, on the ground at where they are to do this kind of thing? We've looked at it with a couple of companies, but we, because it's such a new idea with the upcycling side of things, it's really difficult to implement a project within the corporate. Mm. So they rather look at looking at their CSR projects that are already on the ground or they often work with NGOs and those NGOs are struggling. So we will work with NGOs that they are working with to help the NGO be able to self-fund and not always need handouts. The handouts. Time, yeah. So we show them how to make products that are viable and then the communities within those NGOs can actually make money from the products that we teach. So it's, it's a win-win all the way around. And I, I saw that on Facebook. You've, you've got your <laughs> we need your toilet roll inners because <laughs> you're doing your Christmas cracker things again. Okay. So, I mean, I, I know that I mean, I'm going to say to everybody, not just on Facebook, but upcycle.coza. I mean, you have a lot of your projects up there, a lot of things that you're selling from the shop, which is in Albertskron. Is it Albertskron? I'm not actually sure if it's Greymont, Albertskron or, or Newlands. It depends on whose map you're on. <laughs> I think it's Albertskron. I think it's, it's just past Albert's farm here in Joburg. Okay. Greymont, Newlands. Yeah. Kind of. I think it's in between. It's, in, it's on that main road that goes from Northcliffe Corner all the way through to Newlands. That's that's the way to Long look at road it. with Long all the road. antique shops. Yes, with all those antique shops. Um, and I love going in there because you always have stuff that I want. And yeah. my kids will want. <laughs> that's for sure. So I mean, people do want to get involved or they are a small corporate who doesn't know what to do with their stuff. How would they get hold of you? Through the website or is there a better way of doing it? Through the website's the most easiest because they can email me because then they need to send pictures of what it is that they've got. And then we'll make arrangements for them to deliver what it is at mm. the right spaces. Because with different communities, we take different things. So depending on where they're based, and we have different communities that are looking for certain materials. So as much as we have the shop in Gramont, we don't always want the product delivered there. It might make more sense to deliver it to Alex or to whichever communities that we're working in based on the products that they have available. What communities are you working in apart from Alex? I mean, you're down like an orange farm, that kind of area. So for Enochen, um, Sharpville and for side, Swanville, uh, which is on the West Rand, Tepetsong on the West Rand, Kahisu, Alex, uh, Orange Farm. Yeah, quite a few different communities throughout. Gauteng at the moment, we have done training throughout South Africa, but I don't have communities that I permanently sponsor or work with mm. in the rest of South you Africa. You go and train them and I then do training, they yes. go on from there. Mm. Mm. But a lot of the stuff for you is sitting there and looking at things and thinking, how can I make this different, but more like still usable and viable? Mm. 
Where do you get your inspiration from? I mean, I, I sit there sometimes at the stuff that you've made and I've gone, how on earth have you managed to come up with that? That's for me the the best part, the most fun part. And the reason why I started Upcycle also was just like people can give me a warehouse full of beautiful brand new items and I'm like, okay, that's great. But when you give me these funny little pink balls in a box somewhere that nobody wants and they're half broken and they have this little metal thing sticking out, that's where like I'm like, wow, I have to find something to do with this because I think everything and everybody has value. You just have to spend the time looking at it to find the value. Mm. And the more itty-bitty and weird and wonderful the thing is, the more fun I have. But the idea is you take one thing and you just spend your life going, okay, that's all I have. If I was marooned on an island and I needed to start literally living, how could this one little thing make a difference in my life? So maybe how, about how many different ways could you use it? Exactly. So could I build a kitchen with it? Do I, can I make shoes? Can I brush my hair with it? You, you know, everything that you would need on a daily basis. How can that thing help me? If I string them together or burn them or, you know, well, not, not burn them, but <laughs> how can I re-engineer them into something that can actually be of value? You're reimagining them. Mm, yeah. Exactly. And I must go back just one, one last thing before we have to say goodbye. When it comes to the corporates and the races and things, I, which race was it down in the Cape where they went completely plastic free? I've been trying to, I've been racking my brain. Was something like one of the two oceans or something and they decided they weren't going to do those plastic sachets and they had a different way of doing things. Look, we obviously haven't had any events like that for the last couple of years, mm. but I do believe that, you know, they will be coming back again. And I think it behooves the organizers to actually come up with more environmentally friendly, eco-friendly ways of doing things. Definitely. I definitely think that. And I think that corporates are very much more conscious of it. By the time new events come along, I think it's going to be – maybe I'm being idealistic. Maybe. I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm just wishing that's going to happen. Just stop giving everybody a medal. Not everybody needs a pat on the back just for doing something. It's like, you know, it's kids at school. Everybody must get something so that they feel special. No. If you win, you get a medal. If you don't, well, tough luck. You, know, you had a good time. The thing is, think of an experience or, or something that you can do post that thing instead of giving them an extra product. Yes. Give them a 15% discount at a shop or something. Mm. But as long as they're not buying something that's got plastic. <laughs> yeah, give them access to some YouTube educational channel for their kids. Or, yes. you know, there's, there's lots of stuff that doesn't necessarily mean you have to spend or buy a product. Or rather just say to the people, instead of us giving you this, then we are going to sponsor somebody to go through one of Winnie's courses and learn how to go and help their community. That's a brilliant idea. And I, I do remember do the one year, and I can't remember if it was for the cycle challenge or for the walk the talk, where they decided they weren't, it was, I think, cycle challenge, they decided they weren't doing goodie bags. Awesome. That they were taking all of the stuff that was being donated and giving it to charities rather than giving it to the race. Oh, my That's goodness That's the me. best idea. Love that. Oh, no, the people who had entered were most upset about oh. it, that they weren't <laughs> getting their goodie bags. Okay. Anyway, I mean, it's the same stuff every year after year, you know, plastic bottle to drink out of. I'm sure we all have mm. 15 million of those sitting around our houses, but anyway. <laughs> you know what? I And I think a, a couple more corporates must do it and people will start realizing the, the benefit of it. Yeah. They actually see that the community's gotten the product and – Maybe if the product, instead of buying, getting a hundred little different things, you get one like yeah. of value product that gets given to somebody that actually makes a difference in somebody's life. And that water bottle that you wanted will be going to a purer community for the kids at school and they get filled up with water every single day, clean water that a lot of them don't even have. And you can sit and feel good about that instead of just like, oh, I got this for free. Absolutely. Anyway, Absolutely. so if, if people want to get hold of you, of course, it's www.upcycle.co.za. 
and give Winnie a shout. You'll be very, very glad that you did. Thanks for joining us. And uh, you must let us know what other things you've got coming up so we can push it as well. Awesome. Definitely. Thanks, Thank you Winnie. very much. Thanks. And to the rest of you, of course, this is what it's all about. It's all about being green, even if you're not a frog. <laughs> Just remember to stay grounded. Bye-bye. You've been listening to another episode of Grounded from Solid Gold Studios in Johannesburg. For more green ideas and events, pop along to Mel's Treasures on Facebook.